Hello, hello, and welcome to the Occult Mama podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and today we'll be talking about the seven hermetic principles. First off, it's actually the first principle of mentalism. Um, <clears throat> so last episode, we briefly talked about the teachings of the Kybalion of the seven hermetic principles. Today, I fully intend on diving into the interpretation and understanding of the first hermetic principle, the principle of mentalism. Essentially, I'll be going over the meat of the first few chapters of the Kabbalion. To further understand the Hermetic principle of mentalism, we must first discuss the all, the everything, the ever-encompassing energy surrounding us that we are all a part of. Note that I said a part of and that we're in the, not the all. <clears throat> Just like a character in a book cannot claim that they're to be their author. However, we are a part of it because you cannot multiply or divide or add or subtract from the all. This means that we weren't a creation by some large entity. More like we are all whirlwinds of consciousness within a vast sky. The sky being the all, and we're all the whirlwinds within it. All connected ultimately to the all, because we are but a character in a play of the mind of the all. To better explain, I'll pick a few selected paragraphs from the Kabbalion. I honestly wanted to cover the whole chapters more thoroughly, all four, but if I go into that kind of depth, I'll basically be reading the Kabbalion for you. Anyway, here goes. This comes from the Kabbalion. Substance means that which underlies all outward manifestations, the essence, the essential reality, the thing in itself, etc. Substantial means actually existing, being the essential element, being real, etc., Reality means the state of being real, true, enduring, valid, fixed, permanent, actual, etc. Under and behind all outward appearances or manifestations, there must, there must always be a substantial reality. Sorry. This is the law. Man considering the universe of which he is a unit sees nothing but the change in matter, forces, and mental states he sees that nothing really is but everything is becoming and changing nothing stands still everything is being born growing dying the very instant the thing reaches its height it begins to decline the law of rhythm is in constant operation there is no reality enduring quality fixity or substantiality in anything nothing is permanent but change he sees all things evolving from other things and resolves into other things a constant action and reaction inflow and outflow building up and tearing down creation and destruction birth growth and death nothing endures change and if he be a thinking man he realizes all of these changes must be but outward appearances or manifestations of some underlying power some substantial reality all thinkers in all lands and in all times have assumed the necessity for postulating the existence of the substantial reality. All philosophies worthy of the name have been based upon this thought. Men have given to the substantial reality many names. Some have called it by the term of deity under many titles. Others have called it the infinite and external energy or eternal energy, sorry. Others have tried to call it matter but all have acknowledged its existence. It's self-evident. It needs no argument. 
In these lessons, we have followed the example of some of the world's greatest thinkers, both ancient and modern, the Hermetic Masters, and have called this underlying power, this substantial reality, by the Hermetic name of the All, which term we consider the most comprehensive of many terms applied by man to that which transcends names and terms. We accept and teach the view of the great hermetic thinkers of all times, as well as of those illuminated souls who have reached higher planes of being, both of whom assert that the inner nature of the all is unknowable. This must be so, for not by the all itself can comprehend its own nature and being. The hermeticists believe and teach that the all in itself is and must ever be unknowable. They regard all the theories, guesses, and speculations of the theologians and metaphysicians regarding the inner nature of the all, but as the childish efforts of mortal minds to grasp the secret of the infinite, such efforts have always failed and will always fail from the very nature of the task. One pursuing such inquiries travels around and around and the labyrinth of thought until he is lost to all sane reasoning, action, or conduct, and is utterly unfitted for the work of life. He is like the squirrel which frantically runs around and around the circling treadmill wheel of his cage, traveling ever, yet reaching nowhere. At the end, a prisoner still, and standing just where he started. And still more presumptuous are those who attempt to ascribe to the all the personality, qualities, properties, characteristics, and attributes of themselves, ascribing to the all the human emotions, feelings, and characteristics, even down to the pettiest qualities of mankind, such as jealousy, susceptibility, or flattery to praise, desires for offering and worship, and all the other survivals from the days of the childhood of the race, such ideas are not worthy of grown men and women and are rapidly being discarded. At this point, it may be proper for me to state that we make a distinction between religion and theology, between philosophy and metaphysics. Religion to us means that, ins that institutional realization of the existence of the all and one's relationship to it, while theology means the attempt of men to ascribe personality, qualities, and characteristics to it, their theories regarding its affairs, will, desires, plans, and designs, and their assumption of the office of the middlemen between the all and the people. Philosophy to us means the inquiry after knowledge of things knowable and thinkable, while metaphysics means the attempt to carry the inquiry over and beyond the boundaries and into the regions unknowable and unthinkable and with the same tendency as that of theology and consequently both religion and philosophy mean to us things having roots in reality while theology and metaphysics seem like broken reeds rooted in the quicksands of ignorance and affording naught but the most insecure support for the mind of the soul of man we do not insist upon our students accepting these definitions. We mention them merely to show our position. At any rate, you shall hear very little about theology and metaphysics in this, these lessons. But while the essential nature of the all is unknowable, there are certain truths connected with its existence, which the human mind finds itself compelled to accept. And an examination of these reports 
form a proper subject of inquiry, particularly as they agree with the reports of the illuminated on higher planes. And to this inquiry we now invite you. That which is the fundamental truth, the substantial reality, is beyond true naming, but the wise men call it the all, the Kybalion. In its essence, the all is unknowable, the Kybalion. But the report of reason must be hospitably received and treated with respect, the Kybalion. The human reason whose reports must accept so long after we think at all inform us as follows regarding the all, and without attempting to remove the veil of the unknowable, the all must be the all, must be all that really is. There can be nothing outside of the all, else the all would not be the all. The all must be infinite, for it is nothing else to define, combine, bound, limit, restrict, or restrict the all. It must be infinite in time, or eternal. It must have always continuously existed, for there is nothing else to have ever created it, and nothing can ever evolve from nothing. And if it had ever not been, even for a moment, it would be not be now. It must continuously exist forever, for there is nothing to destroy it. And it can never not be, even for a moment, because something can never become nothing. It must be infinite in space. It must be everywhere, for there is no place outside of the all. It cannot be otherwise than continuous in space without break, cessation, separation, or interruption. For there is nothing to break, separate, or interrupt its con continuity, and nothing with which to fill in the gaps. It must be infinite in power or absolute, for there is nothing to limit, restrict, restrain, confine, disturb, or condition it. It is subject, subject to no other power, for there is no other power. The all must be immutable, or not subject to change in its real nature, for there is nothing to work changes upon it, and nothing into which it could change, nor from which it could have changed. It cannot be added nor subtracted from, increased nor diminished, nor become greater or lesser in any respect whatsoever. It must have always been, and must always remain, just what it is now, the all. There has never been, is not now, and never will be anything else into which it can change. The all being infinite, absolute, eternal, unchangeable, it must follow that anything finite, changeable, fleeting, and conditioned cannot be the all. And there is nothing outside of the all. In reality, then, any and all such finite things must be nothing in reality. Now, do not become befogged, nor frightened. We are not trying to lead you into the Christian science field under cover of hermetic philosophy. There is a reconciliation of this apparently contradictory state of affairs. Be patient. We will reach it in time. We see around us that which is called matter, which forms the physical foundation for all forms. Is the all merely matter? Not at all. Matter cannot manifest life or mind as life. And as life and mind are manifested in the universe, the all cannot be matter, 
for nothing rises higher than its own source. Nothing is ever manifested in an effect that is not the cause. Nothing is evolved as a consequence, consequent that is not involved as an antecedent. And then modern science informs us that there is really no such thing as matter that we call matter is merely interrupted energy or force that is energy or force at a low vibration rate of vibration as a recent writer has said matter has melted into mystery even material science has abandoned the theory of matter and now rests on the basis of energy then is the all mere energy or force not energy or force as the materialists use the terms for their energy and force are blind mechanical things devoid of life or mind life and mind can never evolve from blind energy or force for the reason given a moment ago nothing can rise higher than its source nothing is evolved unless it is involved nothing manifests in the effect unless it is in the cause and so the all cannot be mere energy or force for if it were then there would be no such things as life and mind and existence, and we know better than that, for we are alive, and using mind to consider this very question. And so are those who claim that energy or force is everything. What is there than the highest, higher than matter or energy we know to be existence in the universe? Life and mind. Life and mind in their varying degrees and unfoldment. Then you say, do you mean to tell us that the all is life and mind? Yes and no, is our answer. If you mean life and mind as we poor petty mortals know them, then we say no. The all is not that. But what kind of life and mind do you mean, you ask? The answer is living mind. As far above that which mortals know by these words, as life and mind are higher than mechanical forces or matter, infinite living mind as compared to finite living mind. We mean that which the illuminated souls mean when they reverently pronounce the word spirit. The all is infinite living mind. The illuminated call it spirit. Next segment's called The Mental Universe. So the concept that the universe is mental, that we, as part of the collective unconsciousness, have more ability to bring about the changes in our world than we realize. We reside within the mental universe of the all, or spirit, and in fact, are only beings on this plane due to the all. But we are not created by the all, rather just extensions of the all. But beyond that, because the universe is mental, we have the divine capability to change the vibrations of the world around us and create the ideal situation, which is also known as transformation, transmutation, and magic. Also alchemy. It's the essence all around us that allows us to manipulate not only our frame of mind, but the mind of the all, which in essence is the universe. Here's a direct quote from the Kybalion once more. The truth is that beneath the material chemistry, astronomy, and psychology, that is, psychology in its phase of brain action, the ancients possessed a knowledge of transcendental astronomy called astronomy, astrology, a transcendental chemistry called alchemy, of transcendental 
psychology called mystic psychology. They possessed the inner knowledge as well as the outer knowledge, the latter alone being possessed by modern scientists. Among the many secret branches of knowledge possessed by the Hermeticists was that known as mental transmutation, which forms the subject matter of this lesson. Transmutation is a term usually employed to des designate the ancient art of transmutation of metals, particularly of the base metals into gold. The word transmute means to change from one nature, form, or substance into another, to transform, that's Webster, and accordingly, mental transmutation means the art of changing and transforming mental states, forms, and conditions into others. So you may see the mental transmutation is the art of mental chemistry. If you like the term, a form of practical mystic psychology. But this means far more than appears on the surface. Transmutation, alchemy, or chemistry on the mental plane is important enough to its effect, to be sure. And if the art stopped there, it would be still be one of the most important branches of study known to man. But this is only the beginning. Let's see why. First of the seven hermetic principles is the principle of mentalism, the axiom, which is the all is mind, the universe is mental, which means that the underlying reality of the universe is mind and the universe itself is mental, that is, existing in the mind of the all. We shall consider this principle in succeeding lessons, but let us see the effect of the principle if it be assumed to be true. If the universe is mental in its nature, then mental transmutation must be the art of changing the conditions of the universe along the lines of matter, force, and mind. So you see, therefore, that mental transmutation really is the magic of which the ancient writers had so much to say in their mystical works and about which they gave so few practical instructions. If all be mental, then the art which enables one to transmute mental conditions must render the master, the controller of material conditions, as well as those ordinary called, ordinarily called mental. As a matter of fact, None but advanced mental alchemists have been able to attain the degree of power necessary to control the grosser physical conditions, such as the control of the elements of nature, the production of cessation of tempests, the production or cessation of earthquakes, and other great physical phenomena. But that such men have existed, and do exist today, is a matter of earnest belief to all advanced occultists of all schools that the masters exist and have these powers. The best teachers assure their students, having had experiences which justify them in such belief and statements, these masters do not make public exhibitions of their powers, but seek seclusion from crowds of men in order to better work their way along the path of attainment. We mention their existence at this point merely to call your attention to the fact that their power is entirely mental and operates along the lines of the higher trans mental transmutation under the hermetic principle of mentalism. The next is the divine paradox. So, the divine paradox is simply put, the idea that we are all a creation within the mind of the all, 
yet the all cannot subtract or divide or it wouldn't be the all. It puts to the reader that we are all a part of the all or spirit, but individually we are not the all. We are all interconnected and spring from the same unknowable essence. We are eternally bound to one another in a large collective pool of unconsciousness, each unique to the other and yet also linked to the next. Here's another direct quote from the Kabbalion. The half-wise, recognizing the comparative unreality of the universe, imagine that they may defy its laws. Such are vain and presumptuous fools, and they are broken against the rocks and torn asunder by the elements, by reason of their folly. The truly wise, knowing the nature of the universe, use law against laws, the higher against the lower, and by the art of alchemy transmute that which is undesirable into which that which is worthy, and thus triumph. Mastery consists not in abnormal dreams, visions, and fantastic imaginings or living, but in using the higher forces against the lower, escaping the pains of the lower planes by vibrating on the higher. Transmutation, not presumptuous denial, is the weapon of the master, the Kybalion. This is the paradox of the universe, resulting from the principal polarity, which manifests when all, when the all begins to create, hearken to it, for its points the difference between half-wisdom and wisdom, while to the infinite all, the universe, its laws, its powers, its life, its phenomena, are as things witnessed in the state of meditation or dream. Yet to all that is finite, the universe must be treated as real, and life and action and thought must be based thereupon accordingly, although with an ever understanding of the higher truth, each according to its own plane of laws, were the all to imagine that the re universe were indeed reality, then woe to the universe, for there would be no escape from lower to higher, divineward. Then would the universe become a fixity, and progress would become impossible. And if man, owing to his half-wisdom, acts and lives and thinks of the universe as merely a dream, akin to his own finite dreams, then indeed does it so become for him, and like a sleepwalker he stumbles ever around and around in a circle, making no progress and being forced into an awakening at last by his falling, bruised, and bleeding over the natural laws which he ignored. Keep your mind ever on the star, but let your eyes watch over your footsteps, lest you fall into a mire by reason of your upward gaze. Remember the divine paradox, that while the universe is not, still it is. Remember ever the two poles of truth, the absolute and the relative. Beware of half-truths. What hermet hermeticists know as the law of paradox is an aspect of the principal polarity. The hermetic writings are filled with references to the appearance of the paradox in consideration of the problems of life and being. The teachers are constantly warning their students against the error of omitting the other side of any question and their warnings are particularly directed to the problems of the absolute and the relative, which perplex all students of philosophy, and to which cause so many to think and act contrary to what is generally known as common sense, and we caution all students to be sure to grasp the divine paradox of the absolute and relative, 
lest they become entangled in the mire of the half-truth. With this in view, this particular lesson has been written. Read it carefully. The first thought that comes to the thinking man after he realizes the truth of the universe, that the universe is a mental creation of the all, is that the universe and all that it contains is a mere illusion, an unreality against which idea his instincts revolt. But this, like all other great truths, must be considered both from the absolute and the relative points of view. From the absolute viewpoint, of course, the universe is in nature, is in the nature of an illusion, a dream, a phantasmagoria, as compared to the all itself. We recognize this even in our ordinary view, for we speak of the world as a fleeting show that comes and goes. It's born and dies for the element of impermanence and change, finiteness and unsubstantiality must ever be connected to the idea of a created universe when it isn't, it is contrasted with the idea of the all, no matter what may be our beliefs concerning the nature of both. Philosopher, metaphysician, scientists, and theologians all agree upon this idea, and the thought is found in all forms of philosophical thought and religious concepts, religious concepts, as well as in the theories of the respective schools of metaphysics and theology. So the last segment that I would like to discuss is the all within the all. We all play a part within the sitcom called life. There's some truth to the idea that we are all actors on the stage. But who gave us the role? Where did the stage come from? The supposition the Caballion sets forth is the idea that the stage is all mental. It's all interwoven of the essence that we all come from, and once we accept that we are all but an essence of the all, the sooner we can realize that we can be more than just a pawn on the chessboard, the sooner we realize that we can manifest change for ourselves and create the life we want to live and not the life that someone else wants us to live. We have to be able to rise above the lower frequencies and ascend to a higher vibration to change the world around us, because doing, by doing this, we alchemize the world that we desire. How many times are we told, well, that's the way of things, and that things will never change? How many times are we immediately dismissive of our desire for greatness because so many before us have told us that it's impossible. And here's the last quote from the Kybalion today. While all is in the all, it is equally true that the all is in all. To him who truly understands this truth hath come great knowledge, the Kybalion. How often have the majority of people heard repeated the statement that their deity, called by many names, was all in all. And how little have they suspected the inner occult truth concealed by these carelessly uttered words? The commonly used expression is a survival of the ancient hermetic maxim quoted above. As the Cabellion says, To him who truly understands this truth hath come great knowledge. And, this being so, let us seek this truth, the understanding of which means so much. In this statement of truth, this hermetic maxim is concealed one of the greatest philosophical, scientific, and religious truths 
We have given you the hermetic teaching regarding the mental nature of the universe, the truth that the universe is mental held in the mind of the all. As the Kybalion says, the passage quoted above, the all is in the all. But note also the correlated statement that it is equally true that the all is in all. This apparently contradictory statement is reconcilable under the law of paradox. It is, moreover, an exact hermetic statement of the relations existing between the all and its mental universe. We have seen how all is in the all. Now let us examine the other aspect of the subject. The hermetic teachings are to the effect that the all is imminent in remaining within, inherent, abiding within its universe, and in every part, particle, unit, or combination within the universe. This statement is usually illustrated by the teachers by reference to the principle of correspondence. The teacher instructs the student to form a mental image of something, a person, an idea, something having a mental form, the favorite example being that of the author or dramatist forming an idea of his characters, or painter or sculptor forming an image of an ideal that he wishes to express by his art. In each case, the student will find that while the image has its existence and being solely within its, his own mind, yet he, the student, author, dramatist, painter, or sculptor, is in a sense imminent in, remaining within, or abiding within, the mental image also. In other words, the entire virtue of life, spirit, of reality, and the mental image is derived from the imminent mind of the thinker. Consider this for a moment. Until the idea is grasped, to take a moment, uh, to take a modern example, sorry, let us say that Othello, Lego, Hamlet, Lear, Richard III existed merely in the mind of Shakespeare, another time of conception or creation, and yet Shakespeare also existed with it within each of these characters, giving them their vitality, their spirit and action. Who is, whose is the spirit of the characters that we know as Micawber, Oliver Twist, Uriah Heep? Is it Dickens or have each of these characters a personal spirit independent of their creator? Have the Venus of Mercedes, the Sistine Madonna, the Apollo Belvedere, spirits and reality of their own, or do they represent the spiritual and mental power of their creators? The law of paradox explains that both propositions are true, viewed from the proper viewpoints. Micawber is both Micawber and yet Dickens. And again, while Micawber may be said to be Dickens, yet Dickens is not identical with Micawber. Man, like Micawber may exclaim, the spirit of my creator is inherent within me, and yet I am not he. How different this from this shocking half-truth so vociferously announced by a certain of the half-wise, who fill the air with their raucous cries of, I am God. Imagine poor Micawber, or the sneaky Uriah Heep crying, I am Dickens, or some of the lowly clods, clods in one of Shakespeare's plays grandiosely announcing that I am Shakespeare. The all is in the earthworm, and yet the earthworm is far from being the all. And still, the wonder remains that though the earthworm exists merely as a lowly thing, 
created in having its being solely within the mind of the all, yet the all is immanent in the earthworm and in the particles that go in, go to make up the earthworm. Can there be any greater mystery than this of all in the all and the all in all? The student will, of course, realize that the illustrations given above are necessarily imperfect and inadequate, for they represent the creation of mental images in finite minds, while the universe is a creation of the infinite mind, and the difference between two poles separates them. And yet, it is merely a matter of degree. The same principle is in operation. The principle of correspondence manifests in each, as above, so below, as below, so above. And in that degree, that man realizes the existence of the indwelling spirit imminent within his being. So he will rise in the spiritual scale of life. This is what spiritual development means the recognition realization and manifestation of the spirit within us trying to remember this last definition that of true development it contains the truth of true religion there may there are many planes of being many subplanes of life many degrees of existence in the universe and all depend upon the advancements of being in the scale of which scale the lowest point is the grossest matter, and the highest being separated only by the thinnest, divin uh, division from the spirit of the all, and upward and onward along the scale of life. Everything is moving. All are on the path whose end is the all. All progress is returning home. All is upward and onward, in spite of all seeming contradictory appearances. Such is the message of the illuminated. The hermetic teachings concerning the process of the mental creation of the universe are that at the beginning of the creative cycle the all in its aspect of being projects its will towards its aspect of becoming and the process of creation begins it is taught that the process consists of the lowering of vibration to a very low degree of vibratory energy is reached at which point the grossest possible form of matter is manifested. This process is called the stage of involution, in which the all becomes involved or wrapped up in its creation. This process is believed by the Hermeticists to have a correspondence to the mental process of an artist, writer, or inventor who becomes so wrapped up in his crea mental creation as to almost forget his own existence and who, for the time being, almost lives in his creation, as if instead of wrapped, we use the word wrapped with an R. Perhaps it, we will get a better idea of what is meant. This involutionary stage of creation is something called the outpouring of the divine energy, just as the evolutionary state is called the indrawing. The extreme pole of the creative process is considered to be the furthest removed from the all, while the beginning of the evolutionary stage is regarded as the beginning of the return swing of the pendulum of rhythm, a uh, coming home idea being held in all of the hermetic teachings. The teachings that are during the outpouring, the vibrations becoming lower and lower until finally the urge ceases and this return swing begins. But there is this difference. 
that while the outpouring, the creative forces manifest compactly as a whole, yet from the beginning of the evolutionary or indrawing stage, there is manifested the law of individualization, that is, the tendency to separate into units of force, so that finally, so that finally that which left the all as unindividualized energy returns to its source as countless highly development, developed units of life, having risen higher and higher in the scale by means of physical, mental, and spiritual evolution. The ancient Hermeticists used the word meditation in describing the process of the mental creation of the universe in the mind of the all, the word contemplation also being frequently used. Oh, employed, I'm sorry. But the idea intended seems to be that the employment of the divine attention, the attention is the word derived from the Latin root, meaning to reach out, to stretch out, and so the act of attention is really a mental reaching out extension of mental energy, so that the underlying idea is readily understood when we examine into the real meaning of attention. So here's my conclusion. The takeaway that I'm getting from this is that we form our own destiny. We allow or disallow the de that destiny by choosing to raise our vibrations and taking steps to make the change for ourselves and our families, or we don't because it's too scary. Believe me when I tell you I understand how scary it can be to let go of the presupposed idea of self, of the understanding of who you really are. But guess what? The sooner we let go of self and evolve into a more spiritually aligned version of us, the greater good we can do in the world around us. When we live in the micro and the mundane, all the time we evoke no change. In fact, we give the mundane power over us to weigh us down. How much could we do in this world if we didn't let the mundane take a hold of us and play with us like marionettes? What would a leap of faith do for you in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, it's it takes nerves. It takes some cojones to jump over that chasm that looks and feels real. But the all, spirit, uh, the unknowable has got you. So don't forget that no matter what you're experiencing in this 3D realm, you've got spirit on your side. You aren't doing this alone. And you know, a lot of this, a lot of this last part, this conclusion is stuff that I'm going through right now. It's something I'm experiencing currently. I, I am going through a rough patch with some things, some personal things, and it's hard to remember it's so hard to remember that, you know, you're not alone in this universe. We're all connected, all of us. And we like to think that we're alone. We like to think that we are individuals and we like to stick to that idea, that regime, that we are this character that the all has created. But there's more to us than just this, this character. There's more to us than we see in the mirror. We are divine material, unknowable, and I mean, unseeable. We, we don't know exactly what it is. And even trying to understand what it is, is a lifelong journey into lunacy. So it's 
almost redundant to even try. But the one thing that I have taken away from this is that we are all, we are all made of the same thing. We are all made of the stardust, this essence. And we need to remember that no matter what, no matter how far we go, no matter what path we take, no matter where we decide to go to work, to live, to play, what sort of hobbies we might take up, all of it is just, I mean, they're just different paths on the same journey. And that's the, the important thing to remember. That's the reason why we're here. We're here for the journey. We're here for the experience. We're here to grow and learn and move past some traumas and things that we've experienced. But anyway, I've gone on enough, long enough for about this. And uh, I will see you guys next week, hopefully on Friday. And uh, <laughs> man, I love hearing from you. I would love to hear from you guys. Occultmamapodcast at gmail.com if you ever feel like it. I will try to respond as soon as I can. I am going through a lot right now, guys, but I'm feeling the winds of change, man. 2023 is totally the winds of change. And I hope you guys can harness some of that wind. And I hope you guys can make some progress in your lives. And I hope that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, that this message gets to you. And that you learn and that you grow and that you become a better person for it. Until next time, occultists uh, unite.